Good morning and Happy New Year. We are going to be opening our Bibles this morning and studying from a variety of passages. And uh, this morning in the scripture reading in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Apostle Peter talked about there are passages that are difficult to understand. Our subject this morning is going to be the matter of interpretation. And uh, we're going to get to the question, well, how can we interpret the Bible correctly? But uh, let's begin with this one. But that is just your interpretation, right? You know, have you heard people tell you that before when you say, well, the Bible says this, and then they respond, but that is just your interpretation. Could it be that they are actually using this, even without recognizing it, under, and realizing that they're doing it, they're using this statement to discount what the Bible actually says. And to try to get around what the Bible actually says. And is it also possible that many times when someone says, but that is just your interpretation, they're making that statement in regard to a very clear and plain statement that the Bible makes. That's actually very understandable to them. And then that's why they said, you know, I, I remember one time I was studying with this young man. And the subject we were talking about was once saved, always saved. And uh, I was looking at passage after passage after passage. And you know what I did? I, I would just read the passage. And I would turn to him and uh, he would say, but that's just your interpretation. Oh, well, wait a minute. I just read the passage. I didn't even say anything about the passage. But he did that over and over again. That's just your interpretation. Well, all right. Let's talk about that for a little bit. In Mark, the 12th chapter, beginning in verse 24, Jesus answered and said to them, Are you not therefore mistaken because you do not know the scriptures nor the power of God? For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are they given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. But concerning the dead that they rise, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the burning bush passage, how God spoke to them, saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead. But the God of the living, you are therefore greatly mistaken. Now, Jesus is responding to the Sadducees who'd come to him, challenging him on the doctrine of the resurrection. And how they challenged Jesus is they put forth this hypothetical situation. You've had folks do that before too, right? They put forth this hypothetical situation. And in their minds, they're thinking, well, this disproves whatever doctrine it is that I'm opposed to. So here's this hypothetical. You had this man who had a wife, and the man dies without any children. And according to the law, then the man's brother is to have her, take her and have children by him and for him, for his name. Well, there were seven brothers, and each one died in succession, and none of them had children So the question then was, well, okay, in the resurrection, whose wife is she? 
Well, they thought they had Jesus trapped. But Jesus makes the point, you are mistaken. Why were they mistaken? Why were they wrong? Because they did not know the scripture, number one. Number two, they did not know the power or the authority of God. They neither respected the power nor the authority of God in actuality. And so they rejected what God had revealed. And they were ignorant of what God had revealed. And Jesus then takes them to the burning bush passage and says, that God said, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Jesus then makes an argument based upon the very tense of the verb am. God said, I am, present tense. And he said this to Moses. So in context, you have a statement being made hundreds of years after Moses ever lived. I mean, Abraham ever lived. Hundreds of years after Abraham lived, God is making this statement to Moses. And God used the present tense, am. I am the God of Abraham. There is therefore now a clear implication in that statement. God is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living. Abraham did not cease to exist when he died. Abraham continues to this day. He continues to exist. And God is still his God. That's Jesus' point. And therefore, you are greatly mistaken. In other words, you should have known this. You should have understood the scripture to teach this. That's how you need to look at the scripture. Okay. Do we realize that it's not just our interpretation when we believe and teach what the Bible teaches? Now, we do have to interpret the scriptures. We do have to make interpretation. We have to correctly understand. The word hermeneutics is the science of interpretation. That's what the word means. A study of how to understand that which has been communicated. Most commonly that term is used in reference to a study of the Bible. But it could be a term in reference to, used in reference to how you understand any form of communication. Um, we do have to interpret. But if I am accurately believing and teaching what the Bible teaches, it's not just my interpretation. In other words, it's the truth. And you need to accept it. We live in a culture, a time, in which we face a lot of problems in our efforts to get the truth out. To have people come to an understanding of the truth. Because of the circumstances, the culture that we live in, it makes it much more difficult than in days gone by. Many today reject the authority of God and His Word. And that's always been the case, by the way, just like in our text, right? The Sadducees rejected the authority of God. They rejected the Scripture. They were ignorant of the Scripture. But many reject the authority of God and His Word in our time. And maybe they have this concept of God and having authority. But they don't recognize that authority. They don't think that authority really applies to them. And they certainly do not believe that the Word of God has any authority inherent in it. 
and they just throw it out and think there is no need to read and study God's Word. The application of the Bible is most often viewed as subjective. I mean, that, that's, what we're, that's just your interpretation, right? And your interpretation, they believe, is just as good as their interpretation. And our interpretation is no better than anybody else's interpretation. Ladies and gentlemen, is your interpretation better than the Muslims? Is your interpretation better than the Jehovah Witnesses? Or the Mormons? You see, all interpretations are not equal. Right? They're not. Just like all opinions aren't equal, you say, well, that's just your opinion. And one opinion is just as good as another. No, not really. It depends on what that opinion is based on. That opinion may be grounded upon the truth of God's word and using the wisdom that God has given you, the common sense that God has given you. You have accurately understood a certain principle of God's word and you've understand it and your opinion is based on your understanding of certain biblical principles. And so when you're making an application to a particular thing, um, your opinion is going to be better than somebody who doesn't have an opinion based on God's word. Their opinion is based on what they want to do. See, all opinions are not created equal. The relevance of the Bible, many view as being completely immaterial. The Bible is antiquated. It is out of date. We don't need the Bible anymore. We're in the 21st century. We don't need any of that stuff anymore. And uh, even those who profess to believe the Bible many times will discount what the Bible says because culture has changed. Now it is true that there are cultural elements in the Bible that are not bound, that are not, uh, that are not necessary for all cultures to assimilate to. I agree with that. But... The moral requirements of God's law have always been the same. Ladies and gentlemen, adultery and murder have always been wrong. Homosexuality has always been wrong. Culture does not change that truth and never will. It is a moral absolute that started in the Garden of Eden when God created one man and one woman. And joined them together and required that they be together for life. That was God's way. That's God's original institution. Culture will never change that. Never. The relevance of the Bible, meaning view as immaterial, but the reality is it is just as applicable today as it was 3,000 years ago in the law, when, it, when the Word of God was applied to the Law of Moses. Those words were applicable to them. And ladies and gentlemen, they're just as true today. Certainly we're not under the law of Moses. But we are to recognize the, the authority and the truthfulness of God's word. And 2,000 years ago when the new covenant is instituted, the requirements of Jesus Christ are the same today as they were then. It hadn't changed at all. The teaching of the Bible is inconsequential, many think. Because of God's love and mercy and grace. Oh, I know the Bible says that, but God loves me anyway. Kind of like the bachelorette, uh, Hannah Brown. You know, she uh, says, you know, 
I can do that. I can, I can have sexual relationships with people. I'm not. Uh, it doesn't matter. God loves me anyway. It is true God loves her anyway. But God's love demands that she repent. Just like God's love demands that you repent. We are saved by God's grace. But God's grace does not save us to leave us in sin. God's grace delivers us from sin. Not just from the bondage of sin, but also from the practice of sin. And you cannot abide in God's grace while continuing in sin. Romans 6 and verse 1. You cannot live in harmony with God and be blessed by God while you live in sin. You will not be saved if you refuse to turn away from sin. People think, well, it's just inconsequential because of God's love and mercy and grace. He really doesn't care. Yes, He does. God is holy. And He demands that His people be holy. The true meaning of the Bible is viewed as hopelessly unattainable by many. They look around and they see the denominational world. And they think, understanding the Bible correctly is impossible. Look at all the different views. Now, ladies and gentlemen, of all the things that we've talked about so far, I can get this one. I can understand why people are confused, can't you? Read all the different views that are out there. All of the different interpretations. No wonder there are so many divisions in the religious world. And those divisions continue to grow and grow and grow. The number of denominations today, I have no idea how many different denominations there are. I know 25 years ago there were 5,000. I know that that number had over doubled in just a few years. I know that there are way, 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 way too many denominations because all it takes is just one to make it wrong. <laughs> one denomination is too many. We have over a thousand years of man-authored traditions that have become deeply rooted in the, in the teaching of the mainstream who profess to be Christians today. You have the teaching going all the way back to the second and third century. Uh, not the first century. But the second and third century. You've got men like Augustine who wrote a lot and people have, have adopted his philosophy, which was basically um, formulated by Gnosticism. And he became, because of his mannerism and his popularity, he was the, the viewpoint that most people were required to adhere to. But Augustine had some views that are unscriptural and was an ungodly man himself, admittedly so. And you've got the Catholic Church that came about with all the atrocities of that man-made institution. Then you've got uh, the Reformation movement, which tried to free itself from the bondage of Roman Catholicism. And what they wound up doing is going too far the other way. And they established man-made doctrines on the other end of the spectrum that so many people adhere to today. The doctrine of salvation by faith alone was one of the key tenets of the Reformation movement and has caused many people to be blinded to what the truth says. Many are unwilling to change their perspective, their interpretations, 
by the truth itself. And thus they simply respond by the truth when it is presented. That's just your interpretation. Instead of being like the Bereans of Acts 17, they searched the scriptures daily to see whether those things or what they were taught were so. Uh, we need to follow that example, right? Many have rejected the truth because they assert that the Holy Spirit ha has led them to believe differently from what we read in the Bible. It is true that John 16, 13 says that the Spirit, would, when He comes, He will guide you into all truth. Here's a principle of interpretation. Who is speaking and to whom is that one speaking to? That's an important question in that text. Jesus is speaking to His apostles. And that occurred. The Holy Spirit came to the apostles. The Holy Spirit guided them into all truth. Ladies and gentlemen, there is not a single dot of truth that is to be revealed today. It has all been revealed. It was all revealed to the apostles and prophets in the first century. And those things that the Holy Spirit revealed, He had them written down so that they could be preserved all the way to our day and time. We've got it all. We have all the truth. All of the truth is right here in my hand. Now, many believe that they have to have something else. And really this leads you into the realm of subjectivism. And again, well that's your interpretation and your truth is just as good as it. And you know, it doesn't really matter. This uh, popped up on my Twitter feed yesterday. Five ways the Holy Spirit tries to get your attention. This is uh, from belief.net, which is associated with the C.S. Lewis Foundation. And uh, this author, Stephanie Hurt Hertzenberg, uh, writes, tries to tell us five different ways the Holy Spirit tries to get your attention. That little voice, however, may well have been the Holy Spirit trying to get your attention. Now, don't know that for sure, do we? May well have been the Holy Spirit, though. You never know. You expected the Holy Spirit to come to you in a blaze of fire, but sometimes the Holy Spirit uses subtler ways to try and reach you. Here are five ways the Holy Spirit tries to get your attention. Number one, dreams. Number two, repeated symbols, things that just you know, occur over and over with no apparent reason. Uh, messages from others, someone may call you just out of the blue at just the right time, or gut feelings. Or closed doors. Gut feelings. I, I, if I remember right, the Bible says that the heart of man is wicked above all else. Who can know it? The way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his own steps. Jeremiah 10, 23. Oh, Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. Proverbs 14 and verse 12. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end there are the ways of death. You, you've got all those statements in Scripture. You know there's one thing missing from this list. And by the way, you could take all of these things off, actually, because the Holy Spirit doesn't speak to us in dreams. Now, there, let me say this. I do believe that God providentially works in our lives. I do believe that. And I do believe that there are things that happen that are unexplainable. No doubt about that. But here's the thing. All of these things are subjective in their nature. And the one thing that is missing from this list is the really only thing 
that the Holy Spirit uses to teach men today. And what is that? There is not one hint in that entire article about the Word of God itself. Not one. I wonder why. No wonder this same organization put out an article just about three weeks ago saying that homosexuality should be accepted. No wonder. We need to accept what the Bible says. R. Fowler. R. Fowler Weil. He is the uh, uh, associated with Vanderbilt University. He is the uh, and Dallas Theological Seminary, Westminster Theological Seminary. He is the Associate Professor of New Testament and Biblical Language at Knox Theological Seminary in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. I found it interesting. This is not a member of the Church of Christ, if you will. Put that in quotes. But he, this is what he says. The Bible gives us no reason to expect that God will speak to His children today apart from the Scriptures. Moreover, the promise of such guidance inevitably diverts attention from the Scriptures, particularly in the practical and pressing concerns of life. Let us never underestimate just how serious this diversion really is. In the Bible, the church hears God's true voice. In the Scriptures, we know that He is speaking His very words to us. You know what He's saying? He's saying that we have the objective truth right here. These are the words of the Holy Spirit. These are the words of God. And many people, they use anything they can, really, to get away from that. And this doctrine of the Holy Spirit illumination in our day and time is simply a diversion away from what God says. And it will lead you away from what God says. If you believe that the Holy Spirit is supposed to be leading and guiding you personally today, separate and apart from the Word of God, you need to understand this. That very philosophy, that very teaching is opposed, number one, to biblical teaching. Number two, it will take you far, far away from the Bible. And we see that in our culture. We see what's happening with people in churches who have taken this position. Now, The Holy Spirit has revealed all the truth, as I've said. The apostles and prophets received it all, and they revealed it to us. John 16, 13, 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 14. Paul is emphasizing how the Holy Spirit had revealed, not in words which human wisdom teaches, but the Holy Spirit teaches. And He has revealed those things, and those things have been recorded. Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 5. And Jude 3... We're told there that these things have been delivered once for all. Not continual revelation, but once for all. To know the truth, then, we must know and accept the inspired words of Scripture. That's what we must know. Just like Jesus said to the Sadducees, You do err not knowing the Scripture, nor the power of God. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to recognize the Scripture. There are difficult passages. No doubt about that. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 through 18, As also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things. 
doesn't say all things, by the way. But there are some things hard to understand. Which, untaught and unstable people, twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the Scriptures. Ladies and gentlemen, those things that are hard to understand, we need to approach them with humility and honesty and study those things. But what happens is people who are unlearned and untaught and unstable, they will take those scriptures and they will use them actually to undermine and to undercut the very clear statements of scripture. People do that with the book of Revelation all the time. They'll run to the book of Revelation to try to cloudy up everything that the Apostle Paul wrote in very clear language. Or they'll use the book of, the, of Romans where the Apostle Paul makes a long detailed argument beginning in chapter 1. And goes all the way through the end of chapter, nine, chapter 11. And that entire thing is a systematic argument. And they'll pluck passages out of the context. Some difficult statements that Paul makes. But by plucking them out of the context removes them from the argument that Paul's making. And they misapply those things and use those things, those misapplied passages, to undercut real truth taught very clearly in other places. And that is truly a shame. But people do that. The biggest problem we face is so many people do not believe the clear, the easy, the understandable statements that the Bible makes. Due to one or more of the reasons we've already mentioned. Now, somebody says, you know, if the Bible was written in a clear way, then everybody would believe the same thing. Do you believe that's true? I don't know of a clearer passage or statement in Scripture than Mark 16, 16. You can ask Mackenzie what it means. She could tell you. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that does not believe will be condemned. Very clear statement. Simple. Why is it that so many people do not believe that statement? Why not? What's so difficult about it? I mean, if that very statement, just change a couple of terms in that statement, you take that very statement, the way that it is laid out, the way that it is organized, you put it into a newspaper ad regarding something we want. I've used the illustration before. You take that statement and you put it in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette on a Saturday morning. It's from Steve Landers. It says, whoever comes to Landers Toyota... And as baptized will receive a brand new car. He that does not come will not get one. Everybody will know exactly what they need to do in order to get that new car. And they're not going to go to Steve Landers and say, You know, Steve, you said he that believes and is baptized, will, or he that comes and is, is baptized will get this new car. But he that doesn't, doesn't come won't get one. Well, I'm here. Give me my new car. Steve would look at him and say, wait a minute. I said, he who comes and is baptized. Everybody understands that. You take that to a court of law. What's going to happen? It's not hard. The issue is not the difficulty, really, of the under, or the, nor the difficulty in understanding the Scripture. It's our problems in understanding the Scripture because of what we have and what we bring to the table. That makes it difficult. In John 7 and verse 16. Jesus answered and said. My doctrine is not mine. But his who sent me. 
If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. May I submit to you that the first thing and most important thing in having a correct and gaining a correct interpretation of the Bible is the will to do what it says. If you do not have the will to do what God says, you're not going to understand what God says. Or at least you're not going to accept what God says. And you'll find a way to misunderstand it. You'll find a way to twist it around where it really doesn't mean what it says. But if you will to do His will, you'll know the doctrine. Notice in verse 18, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Why is it that people will accuse you when you're trying to find out what God says, and you're trying to teach what God says, they, they accuse you of seeking your own glory, whereas they themselves are the ones who are twisting the word of God and denying what it says. When you're seeking only to please God, and to follow his will. Did not Moses give you the law, yet none of you keeps the law? Why do you seek to kill me? You know, Jesus also said in John chapter 5, he said, if you would have believed Moses, you would have believed me. The real issue here was their lack of believing God, period. That was the real hindrance. In verse 21, Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work. And you all marvel. By the way, these works were miraculous works that Jesus did. And they saw, these people saw the miracles he did. They could not deny the miracles that he did. They could not deny the power that he manifested. The only thing they could do is, well, it really wasn't from God. That's from the devil. That's Satan doing that. He's working through the power of Satan. That's what they accused Jesus of doing. They couldn't deny the power. So therefore they had to shift the source of his power from God to Satan. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it was is from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath day. You see, they apply correctly certain passages of Scripture. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so the law of Moses should not be broken. Okay, that's what they did, by the way. Because on the eighth day, the young child was to be circumcised, the male child was to be circumcised. If that fell on the Sabbath day, they would do that because that's what the law says. But Jesus comes along and he heals a man completely on the Sabbath and they want to stone him to death. They're misapplying the scripture. They're misunderstanding the scripture. And they, as verse 24 says, they used unrighteous judgment. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Ladies and gentlemen, there is the need to make judgments based upon what the scripture teaches. And to properly apply the scripture to our circumstances in life. We need to do that. That requires interpretation. But it requires being fair, not only with others, but most importantly with the text itself. And with the truth of God's word and apply that truth to ourselves. We see today a culture in which, you know, the only thing, the only thing. That a person should be condemned for in our culture. The only thing that's really wrong is to say that anything is wrong. That's the only thing that's really wrong in our culture, isn't it? To say that something is wrong. Don't do that, they say. 
Oh, they approve of anything and everything. The gross, most grotesque, immoral behavior you can think of. Well, that's all right. But you say that's wrong and you're the, you're the devil himself. People do not judge fairly. You know why? Because they don't understand the scripture correctly. They do not apply the scripture correctly. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20 and 21, people will say, well, you know, the Bible says that the, you know, there is no such thing as private interpretation. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. It's amazing to me sometimes what passages people do know. You know, uh, Most people know Matthew 7 verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. They know that one, don't they? Because they don't want you saying that what they're doing is wrong. They misapply that passage too. But they, they know this one as well. You know, there is no, no prophecy of scriptures of any private interpretation. For prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter's point is the source of the scriptures are not from men. The source of the scripture is from God. That's Peter's point. No prophet ever spoke by himself, by his own will, but they spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. The word interpretation there actually means source, an explanation of that source. They did not give their human interpretation to what God revealed. God revealed it and they spoke it. It's just that simple. That is the same thing as if I were to take the scripture and I were to read from you, Mark 16, 16. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. He that does not believe will be condemned. And you say, well, that's just your interpretation. No, that's what God said. That's not an interpretation at all. The source is the word of God itself. God's word is the truth and it means what it means. And if I reject what it means, that's not going to change the truth one bit. The truth is what it is. John 6, 63, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life, Jesus said. And the need to properly understand the scripture, because by the way, God, God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts, Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. We need to appeal to His Word. We can't come up with this on our own. We need to accept God's truth, God's will. And if I believe and teach what God's Word teaches, it's, just, it's not just my interpretation. It's not. It's God's Word. It's God's will. You know, that's why Peter says in 1 Peter 4 and verse 11, Speak as the oracles of God. That's why the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, Preach the Word. That's what preachers ought to be preaching. They ought to be preaching the Word of God and teaching people how to properly understand God's Word. The focus should be upon God's Word. Most today have shifted away from what God's Word says to stories and to entertaining va entertainment values and things of that nature and have totally abandoned the Word of God. To our shame. If I believe something different from what God's word teaches. Then I'm wrong. And brethren I'll tell you this. That's true for me too. By the way. I'm not just saying that. To apply it just to you. That applies to me too. 
If I say something that is not in harmony with what God's Word teaches, I am wrong. And so are you. If you believe something different than what God's Word teaches. Let God be true in every man a liar. Now, we need to understand God's Word. We need to seek to understand it. Um, in Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 4, Paul says, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly already written, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. How do we come to understand God's Word? We read God's Word. We examine God's Word. We study God's Word. And there's only one truth that we can arrive at from a study of God's Word regarding any particular matter. It, what God says is the truth. It's not just one truth. It is the truth. You know, error is broad, right? And, and how many different ways can a person be wrong? How many wrong answers are there to the equation 2 plus 2 equals? How many wrong answers are there? How many right answers are there? Error is broad. And that's one of the things that Satan really tries, and he's been very successful at doing, confusing people with all the different wrong answers. But there's only one right answer, and the right answer is whatever God says. And we need to appeal to what God says to find that answer. Just because someone sincerely believes he's right doesn't make it so. Proverbs 14, 12. Truth does not contradict itself. Therefore, if we understand the truth, we will understand it alike. Okay? If I understand the truth about baptism, and you understand the truth about baptism, we're going to believe the same thing about baptism. Won't we? Now, if you believe something different than I believe about baptism, then guess what? We got a problem. Now, it's not so much that we got a problem because I simply believe something different than you believe. The problem comes in because somebody's believing something different than what God says. There's the problem. And it's very possible that both of us could be wrong about baptism. Let, let me illustrate this way. There's a Methodist preacher and a Baptist preacher arguing over baptism. The Methodist preacher argues that, well, baptism is the sprinkling and, and infusion of of water, and, and you can do that to babies, and, and that's what the Bible teaches. And the Baptist says, no, 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 baptism is immersion in water. You've got to bury, you got to bury, and you can't be burying babies either. You've got to bury believers, but people who have already been saved, and it's not for salvation. Now, wait a minute. They're both wrong. It is true that baptism is immersion, so the Baptist is right about that. Wherever we agree with God's Word, we're going to be right. But when we diverse from God's word, when we change God's word, when we get away from what God says, we are wrong. And it's very possible that when we have different and opposing viewpoints about what God says, it's possible we could both be wrong. But we both can't be right. That is an impossibility. So ladies and gentlemen, it would be impossible for the Methodist to be right and the Baptist to be right at the same time. It's impossible. That's logic. That's reality. And it matters. The inspired writers never hesitated, not one time did they ever hesitate to claim 
that those who disagreed with what the Holy Spirit had revealed to them was wrong. They never hesitated to say that was wrong. Whether it be 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5, or 2 Peter chapter 2, Hymenaeus and Philetus who taught error regarding the resurrection, Paul pointed that out. Paul even called Peter out in Galatians chapter 2 for the way that he was behaving, not in accordance with the truth. Inspired writers never hesitated to point out error. Now what made it wrong? What made it wrong was people taught and did things contrary to what the truth is. If I can show, for example, one scripture in the Bible, and all I need is one, one scripture in all of God's Word, that baptism is a condition unto salvation and therefore necessary for one to be saved, then it's not just my opinion, is it? It's not just my thought. It's not just my interpretation. If the Bible teaches it, my friend, it is the truth. Will we accept it? Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. It, Jesus did not say, He who believes is saved and ought to be baptized later. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus did not say, He who is baptized is saved, and then when he gets old enough, he ought to believe. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus didn't say, He who believes and is sprinkled will be saved. Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. Is Jesus speaking the truth? God wants us to understand His will. 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4, so that we could be saved, by the way. And He expects us to understand His will. That's why He gave us His Word, so that we can understand it. And by the way, average people can understand God's Word. What you need, though, is a humble attitude, a desire to do what's right, and uh, then approach God's Word with a willingness to obey it. There are a lot of reasons why people do not understand the Scripture. And they would use the expression, well, that's just your interpretation. But regardless, the problem is not with God's Word. It's due to our indifference, to our slothfulness, to our worldliness, or deceit, and our sloppy handling of God's Word. You know, Paul did say that we are to be diligent to present ourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of truth. We need to be honest in, a, in our approach to Scripture. We need to realize truth does matter. We need to approach it with humility and meekness and allow God's Word to change us instead of us trying to change His Word. We need to be hunger, hungering for the truth. What is the truth of God? And develop a love for His Word. And we need to be zealous and diligent in our search for the truth. And our application of the truth. So, we have uh, covered the main premises, the thoughts. God has revealed His Word to us, and He's used words to do that. Words are vehicles of thought. They convey concepts. They communicate one's will to another. And we can understand God's will through the accepting of the words of Scripture. Now, how do we do that? I'm going to uh, just leave this here.
In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, we do that by rightly dividing the word of truth. The word rightly dividing actually has reference to handling it correctly. Using the scripture correctly. We have to use it correctly. We have to recognize truth, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That, that's true. We have to understand the context. We have to understand all those things. But a, a person can only come to the correct understanding of God's Word when he properly uses or handles God's Word. And in order to do that, we do have to examine the context. And context is very important. We need to recognize the type of language. We need to recognize that the terms can be used in different ways in different places. We need to ask questions like who is speaking and who is being spoken to and what is the main point. You know, Calvinists miss Romans 9. In fact, they come away with an understanding and interpretation of Romans chapter 9 that is actually just the opposite point that the Apostle Paul is trying to make in Romans 9. God's trying to explain through the Apostle Paul in Romans 9 that God's mercy in the gospel is available to all men and that's God's will and has been from the beginning. And the Calvinists come away, well, God's mercy is for the elect only and that is individuals and they miss the whole point. Understanding certain terms like grace, faith, and works and how terms are used in particular passages like works. How it's used and can be used in different ways. So all of these things are important if we're going to understand correctly the scripture. We need some knowledge about the historical circumstances, the customs, uh, all those things that, uh, that are available in, in our reading of scripture that we go through and we see and have, have some difficulty. For example, the Song of Solomon, the setting is a little different than what we're used to. And it makes it a little more difficult to understand some of the things that are said. We need to recognize that the Bible doesn't deal with everything specifically either. It deals in principle. And it provides and establishes the principles. And God expects us to take those principles and make the correct application. Yes, the Bible implies things. Yes, God expects us to make the proper inferences from those things that are implied. There are examples that demonstrate and manifest God's will in matters. We are to understand those examples and make the correct application of those examples. Truth always will harmonize with truth. And every statement in the scripture is true. But every statement in itself is not the whole truth. The sum of thy word is truth. So we must consider everything that the Bible says about a subject. Whether it's what must I do to be saved or... Or what things are sinful? What is sin? Or how, how do I worship God? We need to examine everything that the Bible says about a particular subject. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the truth on that subject. That is the entirety of truth on that subject. Now we need to take that truth and we need to make the proper application of that truth. When you're asking what kind of things should a church be engaged in, well that is answered in the scripture. We're given a pattern to follow. Ladies and gentlemen, God's word is the truth, and it means what it means. And there's no changing that. If I believe and teach what God's word teaches, it is not just my interpretation. It is what the Bible says. When Jesus said, he who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned, I believe what Jesus said. 
Do you? It's not just my interpretation. When Peter said, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, believe it. Don't say, well, that's just your interpretation. Ladies and gentlemen, I just read the passage to you. When Paul said, or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death, therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Let me ask you a simple question from this text. How does a person get into Christ? What does the Bible say? In regard to that question. How does a person get into Christ? Paul said as many of you as were baptized into Christ. Were baptized into his death. How do you get into Christ according to the Apostle Paul? Ladies and gentlemen that's not my interpretation. Is it? In 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can have a preacher who adamantly says, baptism doesn't have anything to do with your salvation. And he can preach it, and there are thousands of them that do. They can preach it, and they can preach it until this world is no more. Ladies and gentlemen, all of their sermons against baptism will never undo the truth of what Peter said. Who do we believe? Ladies and gentlemen, it's not my interpretation to say that baptism saves us. It's what Peter said. Do we believe it? Let us never be guilty of dismissing the teaching of Scripture by saying, well, that's just your interpretation. Rather, let us always be diligent in accepting what the Scripture says. Let us accept it. Let us believe it. Let us practice it. Let us always have the will to do His will, that we may understand His will. Let us always seek to be pleasing to God. Approach the Word with humility and meekness, and not, well, that's just your interpretation. And if you've never been baptized into Christ, why not now? If we can help you in any way, if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation to come to Him, won't you come while we stand, while we stand?